As has been mentioned previously, we certainly are each thankful. No doubt that we've been blessed with the opportunity and the privilege of assembling this morning. It is the case as we come to this first Sunday in the year 2014, we look forward to doing that which God has commanded today, to offer worship to Him in spirit and in truth, John 4:24. As we do that, as you know, we have begun a year of reading through the Scriptures. We have made available those reading plans and those particular passages and chapters that we read each particular day. In fact, that brings us to this observation. You and I have now read 16 chapters of the Word of God, which is 1.5% of the totality of the Word of God. And as promised, the lessons today, both this morning and this evening, will be based upon texts that we read together this past week. In so doing, the faith of Abel is the topic of the lesson this morning. I hope that you'll revisit with me for the next few moments some of those marvelous activities that occurred in Genesis, the fourth chapter. And as we do that, we will extract some lessons, some applications that can be very, very meaningful to each and to every one of us. To do that, perhaps the following thoughts on that same opening slide would be well worth our attention. There's no question as far as I know that faith is a critical matter to almost any religious person. Even in those in denominations, they understand that faith is a bedrock truth and it is an issue that must be appreciated rightly. As you give thought to the topic of faith, Hebrews 11:6 continues to remind us forevermore, but without faith... It is impossible to please Him, for he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's impossible. It is not possible to please, to follow, to appropriately direct one's life and attention to God apart from the reality of faith. It is at that point, however, that many questions arise. What constitutes faith? How is it to be applied? What specific manifestations does it present? Those are just a few of the questions. I would hope that over the next few moments we can revisit the saga of Cain and Abel and in so doing remind ourselves about not only what faith is but even answering those other questions about its manifestation and what it involves. As we do that, first we would do well to recollect the actual scene itself. It is with that in mind, please revisit that text that was just read a moment ago. In that passage, Brother Lester read from Genesis chapter 4. You notice that the first three chapters of Genesis have already brought us to appreciate the fact that God's creative activity was finished. Through those six powerful, majestic, and absolutely marvelous days, God brought order to a universe. He brought to it life, the human family, there laid on day six. As he did that, you and I remember that Adam and Eve at first lived in pristine beauty, complete association with each other and with God. However, the tempter came and changed everything. He changed it because Adam and Eve succumbed to his temptation. They gave in to that which he suggested, and in so doing, sin entered the world. As that detail is given to us in chapter 3, we learn immediately that the imperfectness descriptive of Adam and Eve came to describe their children in chapter 4. Isn't it true that in verse 1 of Genesis 4 we find that Adam knew Eve his wife and in the result of that conception we appreciate that children were born, two boys. It would seem that they were twins. We have Cain and we have Abel. 
as you appreciate easily what is appreciated in verse 2, we learn that these two boys were distinct in the sense of what they had chosen for their means of, of activity. You'll notice it says, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Nothing inappropriate about either one of them. Their work, their livelihood, if you will, was such that we notice that Cain was one who tended flocks. He kept sheep, but on the other hand, Cain was one who was a grain farmer. He tilled the ground. You notice immediately, though, that the verses that follow tell us that in process of time, it came to pass, in other words, that they brought an offering unto the Lord. And here are some thoughts that you might appreciate. You and I maybe have often reflected upon the offerings of these two sons. The text reads it like this. Verse number 3 says, In process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Cain, out of that which was his livelihood, out of that which was his occupation, if you will, he brought unto the Lord some of the fruit of the ground. The next verse quickly says, Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. They each brought something. Their offerings were very different, however, weren't they? Those distinctions immediately bring us to appreciate what quickly follows. Verse 4 ends with these thundering words. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. As you and I give thought to God having respect, that stands a strong distinction to the verse that follows. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. God respected one of these offerings. He looked upon it with favor. He looked upon it with approval. But on the other hand, to Cain's, he did not look with favor and he did not look with approval. You'll notice at the bottom, God's reaction is what which you and I have just highlighted. Respect in one instance, no respect in the other. That which follows rather quickly helps us highlight this. The original Hebrew word that there appears in that phrase to have respect, it literally means, as you can tell, to have approval. And thus, to Abel, God looked with a sense of approval upon that which he offered, that which was, again, of the firstlings of his flock and the, flat, and the fat thereof. But on the other hand, to Cain, he had not respect, meaning he had not that attribute of approval. And in so doing, you appreciate that that degree of interest also waned in regard to it. Finally, in the aspects afterward, how did Cain react? The text says it this way in verse number 5. Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. The original word literally means a kindling of anger. It literally has to do with a progressive estimation of greater and greater anger relative to this matter at hand. And it then says, his countenance fell. That literally means that his face dropped. There was a sense of disappointment. There was a sense of great upheaval in terms of his interior feeling it would appear that Cain expected God to have respect to his offering. It would appear that he had every expectation that God would with favor look upon it, but he didn't. And thus Cain was such that his countenance fell. 
in the nature of that countenance falling, you'll notice that in verses 6 and 7, as you can highlight before us, God encouraged Cain. He did so in the following way. The Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Beautiful to give thought to here was one who had offered an offering that was not pleasing to God. It was not acceptable, but yet God offered encouragement. Cain, why are you wroth? Why has your countenance fallen? Don't you know that you too can be accepted, as verse 7 tells us? But he says it like this, if thou doest well. Cain hadn't done well so far. You'll notice verse 8, things take a dramatic turn. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Murder, the taking of life. Rather than taking the encouragement that God had extended to in fact choose to do well, Cain went the opposite. He went from bad to worse. He in fact now not only had made offering of that which was unacceptable, but he also took the life of his own blood brother. He killed Abel. Finally, you'll notice in verses 9 and following, God has conversation with him, making observation that God knew what had happened. It is true that the punishment brought upon Cain was that he was to be a fugitive in a vagabond throughout the earth. As you come near the close of that slide, verse 12 highlighting that punishment, a wanderer, one who would be nomadic in character and not in fact having what would say a dwelling home. All of that kind of punishment leads us to observe. What about some applications that can be meaningful? In fact, deeply so as it relates to faith. I realize you and I live 6,000 years this side of that event. What Cain and what Abel had done so long ago was literally six millennia ago from your reckoning and mine. But yet the lessons from it are fraught with meaning. They are highlighted with deep consideration. I would invite you then to look with me at a few of them. As you give thought to them, let's begin with this one. I've entitled the entirety of the rest of this lesson, The Expression of Faith. The first thing to observe is, what did God say? And how does that relate to the faith we've seen exhibited in the very life of Abel? First, revisit it with me. Since you and I know that Romans 10, 17 says that faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, it would appear that God had made known to Cain and to Abel what was to be brought he had made known to them the characteristics of what would constitute an acceptable sacrifice and offering. In so doing, let's quickly then observe that which took place thereafter. First, verse 3 reminds us, Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So we have Cain then bringing an offering. He brought an offering and we notice that God had commanded an offering be brought. As you notice that which Cain brought, you and I quickly observe in the verse that follows, Abel also brought something. You'll notice that's what's on the slide next. The text says, And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock. The usage of the word also seems to suggest, in light of 
other verses that you see Abel not only brought a grain offering, he also brought an additional offering. He brought a blood offering. He brought of the fruit, you see, of his flock. I would invite you to notice the character of, again, the way that that language develops. Abel also brought. That word also perhaps is characteristic of what you and I read as we come to the Hebrew letter. Take just a moment and turn with me to Hebrews 11 and let's find a commentary on the characteristic and the events of Genesis 4. Hebrews 11 verse number 4 says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. At this point, reflect with me on the language of that Hebrews 11 4. We find, first of all, that it was by faith that Abel did what he did. And therefore, that's how we understand that by what God had said, that directed Abel into what he brought. Furthermore, it says, he offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. The Greek that appears in that location is very interesting. You and I have noticed that it says more excellent as descriptive adjectives of the word sacrifice. But quite frankly, in the original Greek, that word that's present has reference to number. It's a comparative thing that has to do with the nature of the number of what was brought. And thus, I've highlighted the fact it's comparative in character. Thus, we notice that Abel brought more than Cain did. You'll also appreciate in that same verse 4 that God also highlights this. It says, God testifying of His gifts. And the word gifts is plural. Therefore, we again conclude from all of these three approaches that Abel brought more than what Cain did. It would appear again that he brought two sacrifices, both one of his flock and one of the fruit of the ground. But Cain only brought one of them, namely that which was of the fruit of the ground. As you give thought to the conclusion, it's suggestive greatly, isn't it, then, in light of what we read next, God had respect unto what Abel brought, but He didn't unto Cain. God has great respect unto His Word, certainly and completely, doesn't He? As you give thought to that, we've learned then that what God says is very vital. What He had said dictated what He would accept. He accepted Cain's. He did not accept, or rather He accepted Abel's and not Cain's. Isn't it true that that same premise holds with great order today? God has specified that which is to His pleasing in terms of worship, in terms of salvation, in terms of the basic nature of the church. And He will not look with respect upon man's tampering with any of that whether it be an addition or subtraction on the plan of salvation to the matter of worship, God looks with respect upon that which He has dictated what He has said. You'll notice that that lesson immediately reverberates to the next point. Perhaps it's time to highlight that more thoroughly. We have seen it well in this text of Genesis 4. We notice that God looked with favor upon that which Abel brought the text again said he looked with respect. But to Cain's he had not respect. We have reached a point in which there are many who would say, well, God must not be fair. After all, wasn't Cain doing that which was his profession? He was a tiller of the ground. Should God not have accepted this? There are many today who would feel so, wouldn't they? 
they seem to be under the impression that God must accept whatever I direct toward Him. But friend, that is absolute blasphemy. That's absolute nonsense to believe you and I can dictate to God what the great, awesome, omnipotent God of heaven will receive. He will only receive that which He has said that He will receive. As we develop that thought more thoroughly... You'll notice that as God looked with respect upon that which Abel brought, but did not look with respect on that which Cain brought, it is significant that this is by far not the only time in the sacred Word of God we encounter that. I'm sure that you have encountered individuals, perhaps by way of statements on the television or otherwise, who affirm that God is so kind and so loving and so merciful that He will receive anything that's offered as long as it's offered with honesty and earnestness. But may we realize that did not happen in Cain's case. Notice again, his countenance fell. He expected it would seem that God would accept what he offered. And he was disappointed when God did not accept it. That didn't change the fact, though, that God did not accept it. Today, as you and I reflect upon that point, God does not accept everything that man offers in the name of spirituality, in the name of religion. We remember in 1 Samuel, that interesting scene in chapter 13 of that book. You recall the scene well. Here was the king of Israel. His name was Saul. He approached unto God and offered an offering. And immediately that sounds so noteworthy. After all, you and I desire civil leaders who know the Word of God and who are interested to have some relation to it. But things did not turn out well for Saul. Isn't it true that he offered it and immediately Samuel came and rebuked him for doing it and even made the proclamation that the kingdom has been rent from you and God will give it to one better than you are. That man Saul had transgressed the very commandment of God. He was not authorized to make that offering. Here we notice God had stated what He wanted. And Cain had the nerve to offer something different and think God would be pleased. God doesn't accept everything the human family offers to him, does he? You'll notice one last point in that one. Didn't Jesus highlight that very thought himself in the days of the New Testament consideration? As you and I think about worship, it still is true that multitudes would quickly say that worship is important, it's vital, they gather and undergo some kind of activity. But Jesus Himself said there is such a thing as vain worship. Matthew 15, verses 7 through 9. May we reflect, that word vain means empty. That word literally means that which is without force or thrust. There is such a thing as vain worship and may we never have an interest in engaging in such for God like He did with Cain will not look upon it with respect. Jesus identified what that meant in that same passage in Matthew 15. He said it's characteristic of those who teach for doctrine the commandments of men. When we replace the attributes of worship, the other attributes of that which God has said with what we think, what we prefer, what I wish or want, we have run roughshod over the very nature of the greatness of God. We've run roughshod over His Word. And in so doing, we alienate ourselves from association with Him. It is no wonder that this second lesson, God doesn't accept all, brings us four square to the third point. 
you'll notice that Hebrews 11.4 still says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. And so faith is the descriptive of what Abel did that was right, and it's what Cain did that failed. What then is this faith that you and I so richly should consider? First, what about its definition? The Hebrew writer pointed that out to us, didn't he, in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Those two words, substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen, those have to do with assurance and confidence. It's immediately true that that then opens a whole consideration. We must have assurance in the fullness and exhaustiveness of what God has declared. And we must have every confidence that upon rightly following it, we too will be accepted just like the great individuals of Hebrews chapter 11. As you and I read throughout that chapter, we encounter individuals like Noah and Abraham. And we encounter individuals like Isaac and Jacob and Moses and a whole host of others. As you and I develop that point, it comes directly then to ask this question. Since all of them were said to have acted in faith or by faith, what then is faith? When it says that Noah, by faith, constructed an ark to the saving of his house, notice the verb present. He then acted upon what God had directly confirmed and declared to him. He did what God told him to do. Although it was difficult, although it was challenging, although it demanded a great deal of him for years to come, he nonetheless is described by these words in Genesis 6, verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. That example, of course, of Noah quickly leads us to a whole host of those that follow. Abraham. You'll notice by faith he left the land of which he was then a member, sojourned to a far distant place that God had not even fully described. But nonetheless he went because he acted in faith. To that list we could also add Joshua. We mentioned him in our Bible class this morning and how appropriate is he. You recall the scene in Joshua chapter 6 when on that occasion the children of Israel had wandered out of Egyptian captivity and programmed their way through years of wilderness wandering. They had just crossed the Jordan River in Joshua chapter 3 and now awaited them the great city of Jericho. God gave Joshua some instructions. Interesting, unorthodox to be sure, but instructions that went like this. You march around the city once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day you march around it seven times. And when you do, then you shout. May I ask, what kind of military strategy is that? My suspicion is that the chief of staff of the war department would be fired on the spot to suggest any such thing. And yet, when Joshua did exactly what God said to do, not subjecting anything else by way of insertions or deletions, they sure enough shouted and the walls fell flat. Military victory was theirs. That was faith. Isn't it still true that faith has that same operative, doesn't it? So much so that that instinct has to be what you and I overcome. I'd like to develop that thought by using the New Testament reference. 
You see, the New Testament makes reference to Cain on one occasion. It's in Jude verse 11. Reference is made on that occasion to the way of Cain. And the context identifies in a description of the following. Cain did that which was his instinct. He thought that this offering would be enough. He found out differently. Today there are multitudes who do what they think God will accept. Who think that that will be sufficient. All those who do that are walking in the very footsteps of Cain. All who do that are sojourning on the way of Cain. And their Jude tells us they will not be accepted. The way of Cain is sinful, it's iniquity. It is a digression from the faithfulness that's demanded in following God. Is it any wonder then as we come to the next slide? The fourth lesson, it seems, that's so intriguing. We've learned a great deal about faith already that it involves the simple doing of what God has said to do. Doesn't matter whether dad and mom did it or not. Doesn't matter if granddad and grandmom taught it. What matters is did God say it? And so you and I look for thus saith the Lord. Book, chapter, and verse to highlight that which we believe and that which we set forth as the truth of the Word of God. It is in that way it seems so significant that we do arrive at this fourth point. The offer that God extended to Cain. Isn't it true that Cain had messed up? He failed to bring all that was supposed to be brought. But yet, back in that same verse, notice again the statements that God made to him. Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? It's as if God says, Cain, you knew what was to be brought. Why are you angry and upset that I have not accepted that which you've offered me? So much so that verse 7 says, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? If thou doest well. Each one of us find ourselves from time to time in circumstances needful of reflection on that point. When you and I make our mistakes and we engage in our activities of sinfulness, we can almost hear God say, If you do well, will you not be accepted? The lovingness of God and desire to forgive each one of us. But you'll notice, just like Cain, we must do well, whatever that involves. For Cain, it was the offering of an appropriate sacrifice. It was bringing what he had, God had said to bring. You and I know today the next part of verse 7 brings us to this point. If thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. I find it interesting the actual Hebrew verb that's present in that phrase. That word lieth literally means coucheth. In other words, think about a lion, some predatory animal that's waiting stealthily in the bushes to pounce upon any prey that passes by. Cain, God said, don't you ever forget, sin's couching at the door waiting for an opportunity. Cain gave it the opportunity. He slew his brother. They were out in the field talking and things went from bad to worse and he actually took the life of Abel. Today, isn't it true, sin still's couching at the door. And Satan is waiting for an opportunity to bring something before us and in our weakness, just like that of Cain, we fall for the bait and off into doom and demolition we go. It is true that James still tells us in James 1, beginning in verse 13, 
about the grandeur and the nature of the very subject before us today. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The occasion of death, spiritual death, and darkness attached to disobedience to God. As you come to those following comments, God has extended to every one of us in such a magnificent way. He sent His Son, and Jesus Himself said in John 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Didn't the Lord Himself say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. That invitation is indeed a great one. You'll notice God extended an invitation to Cain. Cain didn't accept it. He went, slew his brother instead. Today, the gospel invitation is extended, and the faith of Abel has been the example that we've highlighted for each of us to follow. An example that might well be characterized and summarized like this. Abel understood that God's Word is the bedrock of faith. It doesn't matter what I think or you, but what this declares. We've also learned carefully that God doesn't accept just anything that's offered His direction. Thirdly, we gave appreciation to what faith is and its embodiment in the very life of Abel. Finally, we observe that God did offer the opportunity to Cain to nonetheless come back, make a restoration... It may be today that there's one or more in this audience that's in need of doing something relative to a lacking faith. Maybe you, like Cain, have substituted some things. You've thought God will accept it. My friend, that's not so. God's Word exclusively declares what He will accept, and anything else, no matter how well-intentioned it may have been, does not suffice. We learned that from Cain. We also learned that God's offer extends... That offer is extended today. The plan of salvation through the very words of Jesus demand that we believe Him to be the Son of God. We repent of our sins. We confess His marvelous name as the anointed Son of God and we are then baptized for the remission of sins. If today it would be your desire to come and exemplify faith in the Lord in that way, the only way, today would be the day to do that. If you have become a member of that precious body of Christ, but to this point... You have now slipped into disfavor. What you offer to God is more like Cain's than it is like Abel's. Realize you too, God offers an opportunity to come back to your first love. Won't you do that? Invite us to pray with you and for you and we'd be happy to do it at once. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?